Well, what is up, movie lovers? Welcome back to the Movie Night Apologetics Podcast. And today, I'm going to be going over the movie review of the Netflix movie, Don't Look Up, and discussing why the scientists Kate and Dr. Randall are similar to the prophets in the Old Testament. And my hope for you today is that you walk away knowing that when you read about God's judgment in the Bible, that you don't see it as scary, but you see it in a different and a more gracious light. So with that, let's start the show. Whether it's comedy, action-adventure, drama, horror, and everything else in between, all movies at least have one thing in common. They all share a message with you. This is Movie Night Apologetics, where I, movie apologist Clark, review and examine movies and their messages from a Christian perspective. Have you ever tried to convince somebody about something that was true, but they wouldn't believe you? Well, the two main characters in this movie, Kate, played by Jennifer Lawrence, and Dr. Randall, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, would know how you feel. Because both of them discovered one night that a comet the size of Mount Everest was heading straight for planet Earth. You might not think that a comet this size hitting Earth would destroy the Earth, but in fact it would. And both Kate and Dr. Randall knew they had to take this to the public eye, starting with the most powerful person in the country, Madam President, who does a great job in resembling previous presidents that have been in the office in the past years. But unfortunately, Madam President and her son do not care what scientists have to say. So both of the low-profile scientists take their news and try to share it with the world. Will they be able to convince people a comet the size as a comet in the movie Deep Impact is going to destroy their planet? Will the people find a Bruce Willis willing to give his life for the citizens of the earth Or will the government and the big corporation bash be greedy and reject the obvious facts about the comet? I don't know. You're going to have to find out because in this review that I'm about to do, I just gave you the description. I will be spoiling the movie for you. So if you don't like spoilers, pause now, go watch the movie, come back and enjoy the show. But with that, let's go on to the review. So... I want to give a warning up front with you on this one because if you haven't seen the movie yet but you want to, I want to just give you a warning that there is nudity in it. I usually don't do movie reviews that – or I don't watch much movies that have nudity in it. However, I was told the nudity was at the end and the post – and it was after like the post credits – happened and it wasn't in a sexual way at all. So anyways, I just wanted to be upfront about that and just let you know like, hey, heads up warning if you're going to see it, there is a little bit of nudity there at the end. Anyway, during the movie, they said that the comet, uh, you know, getting back to the review here, they said that the when I was watching this, they said that the comet was the size of Mount Everest, which is about six miles, give or take. And I was like, hey, you know what? There is no way a comet the size of Mount Everest could wipe out the Earth. 
and my wife laughed and said it could. And later we both looked it up and for a comet to wipe out and destroy like the entire like species of earth, like, you know, animals, plants, all that, the, and destroy the climate system. Yeah. It would have to be about six miles wide uh, to have a huge effect on the climate of the earth and everything. So I was actually wrong during the movie and I just, Thought I'd come on here and tell you that because I was just thinking like how in the world could just a mountain-sized comet destroy everything on Earth and, you know, there's a lot to it and I'm not a scientist, but yeah, it can. But anyways, getting back to more of the movie, one of my favorite lines from this was when the president decided not to try and destroy the comet because a bash business figured out the comet had very valuable gems in it that would help and poverty on earth. I love how they just said, yeah, you know, they have gyms and it could help poverty. But I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, really, they would receive the gyms and they, that corporation would keep it to themselves and the government would keep it to themselves. They want to help poor out. Let's, let's just be clear on that. Let's call it for what it is. They were, they would be greedy and they wanted the money. But when Dr. Randall found out they weren't going to destroy it like they initially were, he was angry. And the son of Madam President, played by Jonah Hill, he does a great job in this. He says, heaven forbid we get rich and be safe too. And it just made me laugh. Like Jonah Hill is such a great job in his timing role. And he did a really good job at portraying a spoiled little mama's boy. And I really liked it there at the end, like right before the Bash Company sent off their rockets to try to break apart the comet, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a few weeks since I've seen this movie, but the the rich little mama's boy, Jonah Hill, says, hey, you know what, there's, there's dope stuff, like material stuff, like sick apartments and watches and cars um, and clothes and crap that could go all away, and I don't want to see that stuff go away, so I'm going to say a prayer for that stuff, <laughs> stuff, amen. And it, I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, you're here worried about watches and cars and all this, and you're just saying, shouting out a prayer when literally a, a comet is about to end the entire existence of the human race and everything on it. And then after the uh, Bash Company fails to break apart the comet to save Earth while getting the gems from the, the comet, his mom accidentally leaves him on Earth while she goes to her escape ship. I actually really enjoyed this movie, even though there was a lot of cursing in it. I will say there was quite a bit of cursing and obviously the nudity that I mentioned after the post credits. I do think this has a a lot of real thought-provoking thoughts that made me think about when God sent the prophets in the Old Testament like Moses, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and more to warn the people about the coming judgment of God and that it actually was a really gracious thing for God to do. And that's what I want to cover today after the commercial break. You guys want to know a secret? 
Just because I have a podcast out on the podcasting platforms doesn't mean people will find the show right away. I know it's crazy, but it's true. So in order for this podcast to reach people when they search for a new movie podcast to listen to, I need your help. I would love a five-star rating and review from you. This will help greatly reach people because my goal for the show is to help people, whether they are Christians or people from other religions or beliefs, understand the Christian worldview through the movies and their messages. So if you haven't already, please pause this right now and rate this five stars and leave a review. I would appreciate that so much, and that would just mean the world to me. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode, and now let's get back to the show. I think all of us can attest to the fact that doctors are good to have around. They help us live longer and have a healthier life. But let's be realistic. Doctors have a hard job because they at times have to give their patient bad news. They may have to tell their patient that they have some form of cancer, whether it be cured or not. But to be a good doctor, you have to warn your patients about the illness that has taken place in your patient's body. And it would be silly for a patient to ignore their practitioner's care because they didn't like the news they were hearing. Well, unfortunately, most of the people on Don't Look Up ignored the professional scientist's advice that said, hey, you know, a comet's coming, people, like the size of Mount Everest And it's going to hit planet Earth. And if we don't do something about it, we're all going to die. And Kate and Randall were like the prophets of the Old Testament in the movie. They saw danger. They saw destruction coming their way. And instead of the people responding with this terror and figuring out how to escape the destruction that is to come, they said, ah, you know what? Yeah, you know what? It's going to be fine. We're, we're fine. We're fine. We don't, don't look up. There's no reason to look up. There's nothing there. Let's not look up. That's the, the whole point that the, the, the whole, uh, movie title is don't look up as a campaign because they're, because Madam President was like, Hey, don't look up. Don't look up. Like it's all just a sham. They thought and we, and they thought we can, you know, finally when they said the comet is coming, They said, hey, we can break apart the comet and get the gems off the comet and end poverty. We can be safe and rich at the same time. And I love the quote that Dr. Randall gave his last time on air with the news reporters. And I'm going to just read you this quote, but I did change some of the language to make it more family friendly for the show. So I'm going to just kind of like read it, just kind of play out the scene a little bit. So this is Dr. Randall. He's like, I don't feel so good. You know, he, he, he didn't really, um, he, he didn't really do good in the public light. Like he, he got nervous a lot. And then Bree, the other co-anchor said, all right, so I think we'll have, to, we'll do, we'll go to commercial break. And he's like, Dr. Randall's like, no, please, please, Bree, don't cut away. Let me say something. <laughs> And then the other co-anchor, Jack, he's like, oh, you came to the right place because on this show, we like to say things. <laughs> and then Dr. Randall, he goes back and he's like, would you please just stop being so bleep, pleasant, 
I'm sorry, but not everything needs to sound so gosh darn clever or charming or likable all the time. Sometimes we just need to be able to say things to one another. We need to hear things. Look, let's establish once again that there is a huge comet headed towards Earth. And the reason we know that there is a comet is because we saw it. We saw it with our own eyes using a telescope. I mean, for goodness sakes, we took a flabbergasting picture of it. What other proof do we need? And if we can't all agree at the bare minimum that a giant comet the size of Mount Everest hurtling its way towards planet Earth is not a good thing, then what the H-E double hockey sticks happened to us? I mean, my goodness, how do, how do we even talk to each other? What have, what have we done to ourselves? How do we fix it? We should have deflected this comment when we had the flabbergasting chance, but we didn't do it. I don't know why we didn't do it. And now they're actually firing scientists like me for speaking out, for opposing them. And I'm sure many of the people out there aren't even going to listen to what I just said because they have their own political ideology. But I assure you, I'm not on one side or the other. I'm just telling you the mother-loving truth. And then Bree, she says, I think this would be a good time to establish that Urshwell and the president have both said that there's benefits to be. And then he goes, well, right. Well, the president of the United States is lying. You know, I love that part. I just, it's flat out. It's like, he's lying. I've seen her. We've talked. She's lying. Look. And then he says, look, I'm just like all of you. I hope to God. I hope to God that this president knows what she's doing. I hope she's got us all taken care of. But the truth is, I think this whole administration has completely lost their ever-loving mind, and I think we're all gonna die. And that's the end of the quote. And because they ignored the warning from the scientist, everyone on Earth, besides a few who escaped, uh, perished because of it. So far on this podcast... I have not talked a lot about the reality of hell or God's judgment, but to be a teacher of the Bible, I have to speak on such things, and I'm required to speak the whole counsel of God and his word. So, But my hope is not to scare you into the kingdom of God with this. My hope is that you walk away, whether you're a young believer, a new believer, a seeker, And you walk away listening to this as, wow, uh, what an amazing God we have. He is good and so gracious to us. Reading the Bible, God's wonderful, inspired word, can be a bit scary because of all the talk on God's judgment in the Old and New Testament. But what if I were to tell you that it's actually a really compassionate thing for God to do? What if we didn't see it as scary, but get this, we saw it as grace. 
Now, I do have to be a little bit careful here when I say that because God's judgment is very scary. It's not something to be trifled with. It says in Revelation that people were so scared of God's judgment coming down upon them that they would rather have rocks fall on them. They would rather have rocks crush them than take on the full wrath of God. So I want to be clear. I'm not saying his judgment isn't scary because it is. But we can look at the Old Testament prophets and see that when they warn either people like the Egyptians where Moses calls Pharaoh to let God's people go or else there, there's going to be judgment. When we look at that, we can actually see that as a gracious act because God could have easily just wiped out all the Egyptians. He could have just killed them off who were enslaving his people, his Israelites. But instead, God sent the prophet Moses to warn them to let his people go. He warned them time and time again. He's like, let my people go. Nope, he sends a plague. Let my people go. Nope, sends a plague. And then finally, judgment comes on one of their newborn, their, their firstborn sons. But we see that elsewhere in scripture where God is warning his people even that if they do not repent or forsake the idols that they have clung on to and turn back to God, they will be under judgment as a nation. But isn't it amazing to see God warning his people to change their ways and give them time to turn back to him? He could have just cast judgment without giving them a chance. In fact, he would have been just in doing so. He doesn't have to give us a warning to change our ways. But because he is a gracious and merciful God, he does. Now, I briefly, so to speak, want to talk about one of the most hated doctrines in all of Scripture, and that would be the doctrine of hell. People don't really like this topic, and I understand a little bit why. It's not a fun thing to think about God condemning people for all eternity in hell. Um, you know, because like when I was reading a few months ago, uh, last year, well, maybe it wasn't a few months ago, it was more like seven months ago, when I was reading The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel, I post, and I'll post you a link of this book in the description so that you can read it for yourself. Because Lee Strobel goes over some of the difficult objections to the Christian faith. And in his intro or whatever, Lee Strobel talked about uh, this guy named Charles Templeton. And this guy denounced Christ um, because the, what the Bible says about hell. That That's not like the only reason why the guy denounced faith, but it's a big part of why he denounced faith. And he could not accept that to believe and worship in a God that would send people to hell for eternity. God's wrath and eternal separation from him is a very hard subject to talk about. And I, I hope to kind of help you out with that today. But, you know, Jesus, he talks about hell more than anyone in the entire Bible. And I believe in hell because Jesus talks about it. And he says he's the way. He says he's the truth. And he says he's the life in John fourteen six. So since he is truth, 
what he says about hell is real and the horrors of it. Now, since I brought the subject hell up, and if you are a new believer or seeker, I do want to offer some guidance because this is a hard pill to swallow. And my goal here on the show is to make these hard truths easier to grasp in the best way I know how and with a little help from our ministry support person here at Venture Church, Emmy. And she made a great comment about the uh, the doctrine of hell, and I'm going to just read it here briefly. So she says, the existence of hell is important. Without the existence of hell, there is, number one, no basis of re- morality. How would we know what morality is without the consequences of evil? Should a loving God love evil, hate, greed, and pride? Two, there would be no implementation of justice. Three, there is no need of Jesus or for Jesus. What need is there of a savior if there's nothing to be saved from? If we're all going to heaven, why did Jesus need to come and die and rescue us from sin? Without hell, there is no free will. There is no such thing as free will without choices. So I just want to personally thank Emmy for that perspective. I never thought about some of those things um, that way before. And so here is what I was taught when I was doing street evangelism about hell, because obviously that subject would come up. And so let's ask the question, why is hell eternal? Why would God send people to a place for eternity? Because someone rebelled against God for 80 years. Wouldn't it make sense just to send them for the length of time that they were here on earth or something? And eternity for people, it seems pretty extreme at first glance when really thinking about the realities of hell. And this may not be the only answer or even the best, but this is the best illustration I can give as to why hell is eternal. So let's look at it this way. If I were to go outside just right now, I'm at the church or outside my house and just step out on a bug and kill it. Of course, you know, the winner probably killed it anyways for me. Um, would anyone bat an eye? And no one's going to bat an eye at me squashing a beetle. Nobody. But nobody really cares about a bug being squashed. Now, if I were to go over to a city that had a lot of homeless people, say like Portland or Seattle, and kill one of them, I would probably get several years in prison for committing a murder. If I were to kill a police officer, I would probably get life in prison. I'm never going to be a free-roaming citizen on the streets again. But if I murdered the President of the United States of America, that would probably get me the death penalty. So what changed? I killed the bug, the homeless person, the cop, the President. Why is my sentencing different? Because it's not about the crime, but about the one who I committed the crime against. And when we sin before a holy and righteous God who is eternal, then our punishment is eternal. Yeah, it's a hard truth in scripture for us to read. But think about it this way. Isn't it cool that the ultimate prophet, God himself, 
in the flesh as a human being, fully God, fully man, warns us of hell and eternal destruction coming if we don't change our ways and turn to him. And isn't it even more amazing that he actually came in the flesh, lived a sinless life, lived a life that we could not live. He died on the cross. He died a death that we deserve. We deserve the wrath Jesus took in our place. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death so that by placing our faith in him, we could have eternal life in him. Yeah, his warnings about eternal condemnation are a hard pill to swallow. But God gives us a chance to repent, have a change of mind, and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. We have a chance, like the people in the movie, to have the comet, which is God's wrath, deflected away from us because of Christ. But we only have an opportunity to repent and believe in Christ in this life. The Bible says in Hebrews 9.27 that it is appointed for a man to die once, and then after that comes judgment. We have this life to respond to God's free gift of salvation. We won't get the next life to be able to respond with a repentant heart. So if you are not a believer I mean, do as the Bible says and let today be the day of salvation. God is so good and he's so gracious. His heart for you, if you are an unbeliever, is to save you. Jesus says, I did not come into the world to condemn the world. He said, I came to save it. Jesus comes to seek and to save that which is lost. He came personally to save you. A little bit ago, I mentioned how Moses was a prophet coming to free his people out of the land of Egypt. And he kept warning Pharaoh to let God's people go. Well, Pharaoh didn't listen, so God kept sending warnings like the plagues and locusts before he sent his big judgment, which was taking the life of the firstborn son in every household. And what the Israelites had to do to not be under that judgment was to sacrifice a lamb and use the blood to wipe over their doorposts. That That way, when God's judgment passed by their houses, it would pass over them. That's why the Jews call it Passover, because of that story in Exodus. And I want to play you a three-minute clip uh, by D.A. Carson that my pastor sent me on Discord, because it's so encouraging to see what it actually means to place our faith as Christians in Jesus. And I really hope it encourages you. And so here we go. I'm going to play this. I'm going to play this now. Picture two Jews by the name of Smith and Brown. Remarkably Jewish names. (laughs) The day before the first Passover, having a little discussion in the land of Goshen, And Smith says to Brown, boy, are you a little nervous about what's going to happen tonight? Brown says, well, God told us what to do through his servant Moses. You don't have to be nervous. 
Haven't you slaughtered the, the lamb and daubed the two doorposts with blood, put blood on the lintel? Haven't you, you done that? You're all ready and packed to go? You're going to eat the, the whole Passover meal with your family? Well, of course I've done that. If I'm not stupid. But it's still pretty scary. When you think of all the things that have happened around here recently, you know, flies and river turning to blood, and it's pretty awful. And, and, and now there's a threat of the firstborn being killed, you know? It's all right for you. You got three sons. I've only got one. And I love my Charlie, and, 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 and the angel of death is passing through tonight. You, you, you know? I, I know what, what God says, and I put the blood there, but, but it's pretty scary. I'll be glad when this night is over. And the other one responds, death doesn't pass over them on the ground of the intensity or the clarity of the faith exercised. But on the ground of the blood of the Lamb. That's what silences the accuser. The blood silences the accuser of the brothers as he accuses us before God. He silences our consciences when he accuses us directly. How many times do we writhe in agony asking if God can ever love us enough, if God can ever care for us enough after we've done such stupid, sinful, rebellious things, after being Christians for 40 years? What are you going to say? Well, you know, God, I, I tried hard, you know? I did, I did my best. It was, it was a bad moment. No, 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 no. I have no other argument. I need no other plea. It is enough that Jesus died and that he died for me. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb. There is the ground of all human assurance before God. There is the ground of our faith. Not guaranteeing intensity of faith, so fickle are we. It's not the intensity of our faith, but the object of our faith that saves. They overcome him on the ground of the blood of the lamb. Wow. I, when Scott sent that to me, you know, I have struggled a lot with the assurance of my salvation and struggled a lot with the judgment of God. And when he sent me that video and that analogy about about that, it's not the intensity of our faith that saves us. But it's the object of our faith that saves us. I believe it was Timothy Keller that gave the illustration, a person can have a world of faith and jump on a skinny branch and all of his knowledge and intensity and trust wouldn't make that branch strong. But a person can have just a little faith jump to the big, thick branch despite that person's little faith and the branch still saves them because it's not so much about all the faith you bring but what you place your faith in. And when you place your faith in your trust and your hope in Jesus Christ for your sin, you say, here God, here's my sin. I, I, I trust you that you, you, you took this and what he did on the cross and what he accomplished, then you're going to be saved from the wrath that is to come. You're going to be saved from the wrath of God. 
And so my, my plea is don't be like the people and don't look up that even though they heard about a comment coming, they chose to ignore the warning. They suppressed the truth as it says in Romans 1 in their unrighteousness. Don't choose to ignore the warning of God's judgment because Jesus says it is real. Heaven and hell are real and you can choose to spend eternity with God or not. You can choose to deflect the comment of God's judgment away through Jesus Christ right here, right now. You don't have to be at a church. You don't have to be at mass or whatever. You don't. All you have to do is say, Lord, I have sinned. I have fallen short of your standard. Like I have lusted. I have lied. I have committed adultery. All, all that, right? It, like you've broken the Ten Commandments. And you say, Lord, I'm so sorry. Will you be my Lord and Savior? You only get this life to do that. You only really get right now to do that because five minutes from now is not guaranteed. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. Next week's not guaranteed. Next month, next year, next decade, whatever. It's not guaranteed. This moment is guaranteed. So let today be the day of salvation, my movie lover friends. Anyways, thank you guys for listening to the show. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Special shout out and thanks to my wife, Bethany, for helping me edit the show notes and Emmy, who gave me wonderful insight about the doctrine of hell today. And like my friend Blaine always says after the movies, don't party too hard without me. What? Catch you guys later. Whether it's at home or at the movie theaters, Movie Night Apologetics exists to help you, the listener, know the Christian worldview through the movie's messages. I am movie apologist Clark, and this is Movie Night Apologetics Podcast. 